I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hello. Hi, everyone. I hope all is well. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Jesse Mordine Young. Jesse is a textile curator, teacher of traditional textile techniques, and a maker living in New York City. She's an MA candidate in the History of Decorative Arts, Design History, and Material Culture at the Bard Graduate Center in New York City. She also graduated from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago with a dual degree in Art History and Studio Art in Fiber and Material Studies. Hey, Jesse, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Can you start out by introducing yourself and telling us about your fiber and textile practice? Definitely. Um, I am a textile artist and scholar. So I, I make, teach, research, and write about textiles. And I am currently in graduate school in New York City for textile history. In terms of where I'm from, uh, I'm kind of from all over. I guess some would say I'm a Bay Area native, but I was born in England and then raised in between the Bay Area, California, New York, and New Delhi, India. I first started researching textiles when I was in high school, actually, so over 10 years ago at this point. My family was living in India at the time, and we would visit different towns, and through that I was introduced to these various textile practices and communities that use them as a part of their livelihood. Uh, my mom is also involved in the textile medium, and so her interest introduced me to that direction, and it was a way of supporting me and like pursuing this path in a sense. And so I was not only able to observe and participate the various processes that they use for textile techniques, and surface treatment, such as block printing, weaving, and working with natural dye. But I also really learned the social significance of these practices as well. And so it was where I became really inspired by, you know, firsthand seeing these things and then wanting to learn about it and then also wanting to make uh, through these processes. So I began by kind of implementing a, a, a small textile practice and trying to construct cloth on my own in high school. But at the time, I was also focused in how painting could be used as a way of um, portraying textiles. So I was creating super detailed patterns within my paintings that were referential to textiles. And then that really propelled this idea of wanting to construct clothing. And so through that experience and through that exploration in my artistic practice, I decided to graduate high school early and I went and worked in a factory for five days a week. Um, and it was a textile factory that made home furnishings for a lot of, and, and, and clothes for a lot of brands in India, the US and the UK. And this was at a time when I was trying to pursue, decide what I wanted to pursue in college. So I was working in this factory and they had hired a ton of migrant women from all over India that had left their families to come work and then send money back home as a way of creating an income for themselves and to support um, their community in these rural villages. And the woman would hand stitch the clothing that you see on the racks in some of the higher end fashion brands in the USA. Hmm. And... At the time that I was interning, it was starting to get really hot in India, and the power would go out consistently throughout the day. And when that happened, the women would start working on their own projects. They would be creating, you know, 
blankets that they could, you know, give to their children at home as kind of like a memoir or, um, or a way to connect with their, their families while they were not able to be present. And they would actually teach me how to hand embroider um, through broken Hindi and English. And I learned that these stitches were some, that they were implementing in the cloth were something that their mother had taught them or their grandmother had taught them. And while they were being paid very little to put them on clothes for us to wear, it was such a part of their identity um, and it was a strong marker of their cultural heritage. And so it became really clear that I wanted to focus less in a career of fast fashion and more so in cultural preservation by looking at the history of textiles and their current role in society today and how we can kind of promote the learning and understanding of these textiles and these cultures as a way of creating community and supporting others. And so I'm still trying to get to that point where I can really help create a greater impact in these communities through different kinds of initiatives. But I think that'll come in time once I am done with graduate school, I can really get more hands-on with supporting these communities. Amazing. I have to say I'm incredibly impressed with the level of work that you just described before you even made it to college. <laughs> That's, um, you know, really... It's, very, it's really phenomenal, honestly, to sort of go into college already thinking about the cultural significance of textiles and working with these materials and also just hearing you talk about your experience working at the textile factory. Can you talk about how some of those early experiences fused some of the topics you may have covered in your research that you have completed while at the Bard Graduate Center? Yeah, so I think um, to kind of start out, it really became clear through my undergraduate study at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, um, where I double majored in art history and textiles and fashion with like, a studio practice, um, how I really enjoyed how the school really thought about textiles not only in its historical context, but also in a conceptual context and placing it into um, different situations. Like they were so um, effective in having students learn hands-on in museum settings and then also work with curators and work with um, people in the fields. And so when I was looking at pursuing a graduate degree the BGC, the Bard Graduate Center here in New York, uh, is also really effective in that way. Uh, the school is very closely tied with the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and the school also puts on some amazing exhibitions in various um, mediums. And um, so it became very clear that that would be the right choice in terms of a, a program in studying textiles at a deeper level. And um, the school itself offers a master's degree or a PhD degree in um, object study, design history, and material culture. And then from there, you can pick your focus. And so while we do have a couple of kind of base courses, uh, you, you really have the freedom to select the courses you'd like to take. And so the ones that I've been taking have predominantly been in textile history. Um, but then there's some courses where it might more focus more on, um, for instance, like dye materials and how dye materials circulate around the globe. So it might not be as um, related to one specific, like w the woven substrate, but it might kind of cross into other forms of making and design 
as well. And so um, I think that having this studio practice next to this more scholarly research has been a really incredible way to bridge like my two interests because mm-hmm. I'm seeing the textiles in a museum. I'm reading about them in books, but I have the ability to have that kind of tacti- tactile sensibility and that knowledge um, and embodied knowledge within me as a maker. And I'm able to apply that to my writing or apply that to, to my, my research and projects as a way of, of really having a, a more intimate understanding of, of the history of textiles. And so that's been, I think, a really, really fulfilling part of the program is kind of bridging my making practice with my research practice at, at a deeper level, definitely. And can you speak a bit about your studio practice specifically? What types of textiles do you use mostly? What type of materials do you use? How do you source them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, um, I'm a weaver uh, and I, I use a floor loom predominantly. Uh, currently, while I'm in graduate school, I've been using that less um, just because I don't have a, you know, a fully established studio space while I'm, I'm in my studies. Um, so I've been working with actually a tufting gun to create rugs, uh, but I also really love to use the medium of natural dye. And these are all techniques that I learned while at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. They have an incredible fiber and material studies department, and the teachers were so informative and support, excuse me, the professors were so informative and supportive of their students. And I just feel like I had such a hands-on learning experience that really um, allowed me to embrace these processes. And uh, I, I think that some people may sometimes question why not go to more of a production-based practice if you're if you're trying to be a designer and an artist sometimes and outsourcing the the work that you're making um if it is in the textile medium because they we have access to these processes at an industrial level and i just don't think that really coincides with my practice and there's nothing wrong with people going that path but i think through being able to hands-on learn, learn hands-on at SAIC, um, it became clear that me making was one of the most important parts of the process. Um, yeah, and I think that in addition to that, I, I come from, I have a, a hair, my family is actually, um, a large part of it is from India. And so um, a really important part of my upbringing was witnessing my um my family uh, engage in hands-on making and so it, it, it's really a part of kind of who my family is who I am um, so to kind of give more context to that um, my parents when they were living in California coinc- coincidentally remarried people of Indian origin so my stepmom's family is from the state of Gujarat in India which has a really rich textile history and my stepfather's family is from the state of Punjab, which um, I, I feel makes some of the most beautiful textiles I've ever seen in my life. Those are called Bog and Pokhari textiles. And those are all hand-stitched. Um, and mm. so while my family isn't necessarily engaged in a weaving practice, seeing relatives um, use their hands to make things, you know, they're really engaged in knitting practices or they come from villages where um, hand weaving is a really important part of their culture. And so it's really created this kind of 
like intimacy between needing to make on my, you know, myself. Um, and so that's kind of where my practice lies. It's really interesting to hear you talk about India as being such a huge influence in your work because when I look at your weavings, I see a lot of different weaving styles. One in particular that I'm curious about, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it properly, but it's called Jim Dami. And we had a person on the podcast who spoke about this particular type of weave. If I were to point out specific pieces that you have, it would be the soft spoken wall weaving. I'm interested in what type of weaving style that is. Yeah, so I think um, it's interesting because over the more recent years, my structures within the weavings have become a lot more simple. I've been using a lot more plain weave Mm -hmm. um, just because I feel like it's serving its purpose in the sense that I wanted to create kind of a series of more like minimal surface treatment as part of a reflection of what I was being inspired by at the time. Um, And so there was a a time there where I was really focused on creating a ton of texture in my pieces um, and, you know, using a lot of different weave structures like um, honeycomb and using um, like waffle weave and um, Mm -hmm. using (laughs) huck lace. And so those became a really important part as I was exploring like the intersection between textiles and architecture, I was specifically looking at a lot of um, Mughal architecture in India and how um, there seems to be this connection between um, representation of, of architecture within textiles in India. And at the time I was doing that, my, my pieces were a lot more structural. You're totally right when, when you um, look at the Jamdani weavings. And I do feel like it's, it's kind of a reference or a refre- reflection to these, uh, these processes as well. It's kind of this um, paying attention to what techniques are being used um, on the subcontinent and trying to incorporate it in a way that is, is my own um, and is respecting that and not necessarily trying to mimic it entirely, but is, is, is a, it's a form of inspiration. Definitely. I think you're right about that. I'm also interested in your fog weaving. Yeah. So yeah, the fog and rain weaving are some newer pieces. That is a really simple structure. That's actually just plain weave. Um, I was weaving at the Textile Arts Center in Brooklyn this past winter as I was creating a series of works for uh, Warp and Weft magazine, which is an, currently an e-publication run by my friend Rachel of Weaver House Co. And so I was making a series of works, um, some of them on my uh site are titled Casa and Oaxaca and that's a a different series but while I was there I also worked on doing these smaller studies and they're they they serve as kind of like sketches to me I've been really interested in thinking about how like thread can serve as a drawing tool Um, I know that you know Annie Albers has referred to that as well as like taking a, a, a thread for a walk is referential to Paul Clay and, and taking a line for a walk. And so how weaving can be a form of drawing as well. And so this, this fog weaving was just kind of a play with material, a play with um, texture. And I was using um, found yarn that had been like basically discarded warps in a, in a scrap bin and just playing with uh, a material that seemed to be like 
almost like forgotten or or not desired and trying to create something new with that and so um yeah I I like these pieces I think I want to kind of explore this even further um and make bigger pieces make pieces that are a little bit more kind of sculptural in that sense definitely I can see the sculptural aspect of it because it's almost like it's uh, 2D because of the texture in it. So I'm excited to to see how you continue to follow that style. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited too. (laughs) (laughs) In your most recent body of work, you spent time in rural landscapes, one of them being Ireland. Can you talk about what inspired this work and your experience there? Yeah, so... um... I moved to Ireland for a year. I was kind of out of college uh, or had been recently out of college and was trying to figure out that transition into what I wanted to do. And so I took that time to move to Ireland and I worked for a screen printing studio part time um, and helped them organize kind of workshops and classes um, and Uh, I was also interning at the Craft Museum in Kilkenny um, and then also worked part time doing administrative work. Uh, But through that experience, I was able to really spend a ton of time really getting to know the country. So I was spending my weekends traveling all over and hiking alone and going camping on my own. And through that, I just had this um, kind of. I don't know how to describe it. It was just like a, an, um, an epiphany. Yeah. It was just like, (laughs) I, I had been spending so much time in, you know, huge urban landscapes going from Mm. New Delhi to Chicago to LA. Mm. And it was kind of this moment where I had missed being in land. I, you know, grew up in Northern California where my parents, you know, took us, um, you know, on trips to like rural parts of the country to go camping. And so much of my childhood was based off of like being in connection with the land. And, um, so I just like had this, it felt like a reconnection to, to the land after, you know, um, being away from it for so long. And so I was also just so inspired by the ruggedness, ruggedness of it, you know, seeing the, the crazy cliffs that, you know, where the waves crash onto it. And it just inspired this series of work that um, was very kind of like tranquil and minimal. And I think it was just because of the sensation I got within these landscapes, you know, spending a lot of time thinking and a lot of time um, just observing um, very barren, you know, areas of the world, Um, specifically um, just how like nature interacted with each other and at the time I was really really inspired by the work of Heather Day who's a painter out of San Francisco and so I I really loved her conceptual work of like the interaction between water and rocks and I think that shows in those weavings that I made during that time Um, And actually, right after Ireland, I did a residency in Iceland at the Textile Arts Center. Uh, Excuse me, it's called the Textile Center, and it's in it's in the northwestern part of Iceland. It's in a town called Blondos. And I spent two and a half months there and spent a lot of time also traveling on my own traveling with friends as well. But um, through that, I think the, the the body of work was a reflection of my time both in Iceland and in Ireland. 
Um, and yeah, I think that it's interesting because it has very little color. And more recently, my work has started to kind of incorporate color a lot. You know, there's a lot more color in my more recent body of work. Um, yeah. And would you say that you had any huge takeaways from that experience? And if that has informed some of the research that you're doing? Definitely. Um, so I would say that first and foremost, through my ability to be involved in the screen printing studio, it uh, confirmed my passion to teach. I think that I was, mm. you know, trying to kind of straddle between more of a curatorial approach, which is really exciting or more of an educational approach. And I think that through having the ability to interact with students, um, you know, face to face, that became really exciting for me. And so through my time at the BGC, I see this as an opportunity to become a better teacher, a better educator, whether that be at a college level in the future or, um, you know, more freelance, um, you know, both excite me and it's still a matter of figuring out how that will happen when I'm done with my graduate studies. But it definitely became clear when I was there. And then also just, I think I needed this body of work to push me into the direction I wanted to go. I think that, you know, I was making work while I was in Ireland, um, but the Iceland work was where I really felt like a shift. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, that work is a reflection of my time, both in Ireland and Iceland, but it really, like, allowed me to kind of push my work. I was re-engaging in my practices in a really in-depth way, you know, weaving for 16 hours a day, going on hikes on my own and walks on my own. And I just really needed that time to grow in my practice and also reflect on my experience. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, it was really pivotal. I think that it, it also just really um, made it clear that I want to continue to pursue my textile practice um, throughout my, my life. And I knew that at the time, but I just needed time to kind of recenter. You know, as an artist, we have these doubts of like, am I doing my practice right? Or what does it mean to do my practice right? Or mm. am I waking, making work that I love? And I really love the work that I made at the time. So yeah, I think it was a really, really important experience. Um, and I'd love to uh, do another one again in the future. Actually, I'm, I'm supposed to be, I was supposed to be leaving for Ireland tomorrow um, to go for a three week long residency there in a very rural part of Ireland. Um, and obviously that's not happening anymore because of COVID, um, you know, it'll happen in the future. And, um, but so it's interesting how, when I, when I think about like the work that I have been planning on making at that point, you know, when I would be there, um, it, it, it relates, you know, it's definitely related to one another. Mm. And you kind of touched on this a bit, but I'm curious if you can go a bit more into depth about what it's like to sustain, whether it be environmentally or financially as a textile artist. Have you had any challenges starting and maintaining your fiber projects? Yeah, I think it's something that we all kind of struggle with, you know, Um, in a sense, first and foremost, just getting yourself to a point where... um, you feel financially secure with your practice. Um, I think it takes a lot of time and a lot of hard work and dedication. 
and I'm feeling like it's it's starting to happen for me, you know, but I also also am very well aware that I have pursued other things, you know, like I'm in graduate school, so that um that's an amazing and fulfilling experience, but it does a ta- it does take away from that, you know, um you know, building your, your portfolio and creating more work. And Mm -hmm. so, um, that's something I struggle with because I, I, I'm getting myself to a point in a different part of my career right now. It's growing me there while I'm also growing as a textile artist and it's, it's growing pains for both in a sense, you know, just making sure that you dedicate enough time to both practices and, um, you know, continue to like believe in yourself as you're going through it. And then I guess like in terms of sustainability, it's something I'm always considering. I think growing up in, you know, Berkeley, California, I think we're taught at a really early age how to be environmentally conscious and be respectful of um, the earth and try and, and, you know, as we are on this planet, how, how do we, um, insert ourselves into that conversation? How do we participate in that? And so it's something I'm always trying to think about because I know that natural dyes aren't always more sustainable. You know, they use up a lot of water. They sometimes can be toxic. So making sure that I try and as I'm, you know, trying to figure out a way to make myself the most sustainable, how do I continue to make choices that better serve my practice and better serve uh, the planet? And I think that's something that as I'm growing, I think more and more about. And, um, you know, it's definitely something that I'm always looking to kind of try and find new ways to be better at that. Um, But in terms of the material I use now, I try and source locally. I try and support, you know, smaller farms um, that I think are doing um, ethical production of materials. I think that's really important to me. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's something too, where I'm at still at a small scale where, you know, I look at some of these fast fashion brands that I kind of had mentioned before and it's, I try and do my part and I just hope that with their impact and their, you know, responsibility, they can try and also strive for those things, you know, try and be more sustainable and ethical. Absolutely. And do you have any new projects that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, so I'm really excited for the summer. I'm doing a couple of collaborations that I cannot wait to share. I um, It's still in the works, and so I'm not fully able to disclose everything just yet. Um, but some are educational, some are more writing-based and research-based. Um, and so those are things with other organizations and companies. And so that... I will definitely be sharing more about on my website and on my social media when I get the go ahead. Um, And then in terms of my own practice, I plan on spending a lot of time in the studio with my partner and I'll be making a ton of rugs this summer. Um, They're hand tufted rugs made with naturally dyed um, yarn. Mm. And um, then also um, learning to, or not learning, but, um, working on making some of my writings that I've been doing this year at the Bard Graduate Center available for people to read, um, online because I haven't shared those just yet. Um, and there's a couple of essays that I'm just really excited about that I think, um, my, my, the textile community would enjoy reading. Definitely. 
Wonderful. And where can people go on social media and the internet to follow your work? So uh, you can see my website at jessiemordeenyoung.com. That's um, Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-E, and then Mordeen is M-O-R-D-I-N-E, Young, Y-O-U-N-G.com. And then in terms of Instagram, it's at Jesse Mordeen and at Jesse underscore Weaves. And that second one, that Jesse Weaves, is where I share more of my textile research, whereas my Jesse Mordeen account is for my own artistic practice. Amazing. So before you go, we have a question that we ask everyone that joins a podcast. And that is, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts? Yeah, I think um, someone once said this to me, but always be open to pushing your work in new directions and continue to cultivate a community um, that will support you in your process Um, And also just believe in what you do. Um, Something that you, you know, give dedication towards will, you know, culminate in what you want it to be. So just keep giving to your practice. Amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your story and all of the wisdom and, and research that you've done, that you've contributed to the overall canon of textile. Art. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was so fun. <laughs> That's a wrap. If you're interested in supporting Jesse's work, you can find links in the show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode 125. I highly suggest you check out Jesse's website. She sent me a really cool Weaver Bay pin, and I think you all would really enjoy and appreciate them. So check it out. In next week's episode, I'm speaking with Sean Kimber, an African-American mathematician and quilter known for expressing her political activism in her quilts. I'm excited for that episode. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Until next time, happy weaving. Happy weaving.